It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am looking forward to the show today. Joining me are two guests, Dave Stein and Steve Anderson. They are the co-authors of a new book titled Beyond the Sales Process, 12 Proven Strategies for a Customer-Driven World. Steve is the president of Performance Methods, Inc., and Dave is a sales consultant, strategist, and for many years, the CEO of the ES Research Group. Dave and Steve, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. Um, Yeah, nice being here. So, uh, maybe one at a time, just take a minute, introduce yourselves, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in sales. Dave, you first? Yeah, yeah. So, I was uh, a professional trumpet player in New York City. You mentioned <laughs> that uh, you're a part-time New Yorker. So, I yeah. grew up in, in New York and uh, got a degree and did postgraduate work in music, played uh, trumpet just uh, pretty much anywhere somebody would pay me to play, and uh, realized, uh, I wrote a blog post about this not too long ago with respect to A, B, and C salespeople, the fact that you really can't get a C player to be a B player, but I was a C trumpet player, and I don't mean the note C, <laughs> I meant the level C, and realized I would never be a uh, an A, and I certainly wouldn't be a B, so I got out of uh, music and into computer programming, and then got into sales and marketing and international business development and strategic, strategic partnerships, and then became a consultant and here you uh, are. You know, here I am. Yeah, right. Well, I will say that over the course of 300 plus interviews we've done so far for the show, first trumpet player uh, <laughs> to become a salesperson. That's, that's good. And Steve, how about yourself? Well, it's interesting, Andy, because one of the things that drew uh, Dave Stein and Steve Anderson together was a mutual interest in music. And once upon a time, Dave was with a hot tech company based in New York called Data Logics. Mm-hmm. And I was asked to come in. And worked to build a sales organization, and Dave and I became fast friends. And when he found out that I had worked my way through college and graduate school playing guitar, then we struck up conversations. And I'll always remember my buddy Dave saying, let's get in my sports car. We're going into Manhattan, Town Hall, Carnegie, there's a concert. And so some of my fondest memories of New York are with Dave Stein sitting in these magnificent concerts, enjoying music together. After that, 25 years in technology companies, chief sales officer for companies, started Performance Methods 17 years ago. That's my story. So do you guys ever get together and jam? <laughs> we never have. We never have. We have well, I haven't huh? played the trumpet in many years, so you, it's not anything that Steve or I, I'm afraid the long-term relationship he and I would be uh, have would be <laughs> immediately over over if he heard me play the trumpet. <laughs> Steve, are you in a band or anything? Oh yeah. I mean, as a matter of fact, we did. Um, so we were college students looking to make a little extra money, Andy, and and so we all read music. We weren't music majors, but mm-hmm. we all read music. And so when when recording artists would come to town. Uh, and they needed a band to maybe kick off the show and play behind them, we got that call. And this actually started when I was 15 years old, and so uh, ended up playing in some places I probably shouldn't have at that age. But the bottom line is it was a remarkable experience. And then one day I heard my all-time favorite guitarist, 
and I was 23 years old, and I heard him play face-to-face, in person, not like listening to the wax. Here he is right in front of me. I'm third row. And I just said to myself, I'm never going to be able to do that. And who was that? Who was that? John McLaughlin. John in McLaughlin. Oh, oh, yeah. Now, did he have the dual neck guitar he was playing? He did, Andy. Yeah, oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> Dave Stein, this man is not... He did, and he was wearing his robe, and right, he had right. Mahavishnu Orchestra, exactly. and Jan Hammer, and uh, Jan Laird, and I mean, it was just an un-Jerry Goodman. And I sat there, and I watched him at Wake Chapel, Wake Forest University, mesmerized. And again, I thought I was pretty good, but I said to myself, never going to be able to do that. Better find something I can do, and here I am today. So I'm, I'm surprised they let him play at a conservative religious school like Wake Forest. <laughs> It was quite interesting, and it was quite eye-opening in a number of ways. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Very interesting. All right, so let's jump into talking about your book. You guys have written this new book called Beyond the Sales Process. So let's start with that. What, what does it mean, beyond the sales process? Steve, why don't you uh, jump on this one? Yeah, sure, sure. So, 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 so Andy, Dave and I collaborated um, for quite some time before we decided to write a book. And, and bottom line – we just did not have an interest in writing just another sales book. There's plenty of those out there, several published even since we published uh, Beyond. <laughs> well, several, several published since we started talking. Yeah, probably <laughs> right. <laughs> and so our feeling was, you know, a lot of folks are, are trying to do the right thing with their sales book. But at the end of the day, some of these tend to say, Mm, kind of the same things. Yes. And what Dave had observed and what I was observing in, in my work at PMI, and, and we work, Andy, with a lot of very large global companies, most of which would uh, lay claim to the fact that if they aren't the leader in their industry, they're one of the leaders. The thing that Dave and I both had been observing is that, look, Things are different. There was a dot-com meltdown. There was a financial meltdown, whether it's 2000 or 2008. <clears throat> things are different in terms of how companies engage with customers. And they better be different because customers are engaging differently with their suppliers. Mm-hmm. So the book that we wanted to write was a book about how are we going to adjust the way we engage with customers beyond just focusing on this narrow sliver of time when the customer is actually buying. And you know, couldn't help but notice your uh, moniker there, zero time selling. Well, the customer doesn't spend zero time buying, but I must say, uh, based on our anecdotal research and uh, coupled with literally working with some of these very large organizations, when you look at a customer and you basically ask them, how much of your time are you going to spend literally buying something from me, your seller? Uh, if they work 2,000 hours a year, Andy, it's never going to be half the time. 1,000 hours, no way. Uh, 200 hours, 10% of their time, no way. No. What Dave and I decided, and Dave, you might want to comment on this too, was, you know what? At the end of the day, the customer's only buying 1% to 2% of their time with yep. the seller. What are they doing the other 98%? That's what Beyond the Sales Process is about. It's about the customer journey, uh, soup to nuts, end to end, before the sale, during the sale, and after the sale. Dave? 
Yeah, so so I, I think Steve uh, nailed it as far as a lot of the sales books, and there are some terrific ones out there. I mean, I've learned a lot from uh, a lot of the experts, but they, they really do focus on that during the sale. You know, here's an opportunity. Uh, what do you have to do? What kind of plans do you have to put together? What do you say to the customer? How do you articulate your value? But they're really mostly focused on winning that single sales opportunity. And uh, Steve and I contend that if you wait on until you find out that there's the, of course, the phrase we like to use is meat on the table, but mm-hmm. you find out that there's an opportunity there, it, it's almost always too late. Uh, we've even referred to it as, as a potentially a fatal mistake if that's the way you pursue winning uh, a series of deals that may be in your portfolio of engagements or whatever else. So we realize that, uh, that if we could help salespeople understand that there are very high productive, high return no guarantees, of course, but but high probability of success activities that can be uh, uh, planned and executed before the sale, of course, during the sale, but even maybe most importantly, after the sale, that can set that salesperson or that sales team or that sales manager or account executive up for just an ongoing flow of success, not only from that first customer uh, again and again and again, but from you, you, you using that past proven value that you've delivered to uh, to uh, uh, get the interest and capture mind share of other companies as well. So the book is expansive in its look at selling. It's 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 broader and in some ways deeper, but definitely broader than what you'll typically see out there. And uh, all well, of this is under- definitely deeper. Yeah, I mean, I, and so it's really as sort of Steve sort of prefaced. It, I mean, it's it. At least in my reading, is is geared more towards the larger, complex sale uh, to the larger enterprise. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and even as Steve and I, the two years or more than two years that we took writing it, uh, we, we realized that that this book was not going to be for those on the left side of the bell-shaped curve. You know, your your uh, first year, second year salesperson who's never really done this before. This is not sales one hundred and one. It's not a beginning sales book. Uh, you need to have some experience, but uh, everybody that we've heard from who's read it, uh, the companies that have invested in copies for their sales teams have all come back. With with uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, changes to their approach, most of it including now activities before the sale and after the sale that will help sustain that uh, that salesperson's growth, the sales team's growth, but most importantly, the growth uh, between the seller and and the buyer or the customer and the supplier. And that's that's really where the value of the book is. Yeah, and you, I mean, you start off strongly in the introduction by talking about how customers don't want to be coerced, controlled, or otherwise pushed around. And yet, you know, if you go out and Google controlling the sales process, you get about, know, last time I did it was about a year ago, you get about 36 million <laughs> returns <laughs> that talk about how to control the sales process. So, you know, how, how do you get people sort of off that mode? To me, that was a great place to start because this is seems to be, to my mind, uh, prevailing almost theology among salespeople and many sales leaders about controlling the sales process, controlling the customer. And, and it really, you know, it starts with sort of these heroic qualities that, that people put into the job postings, what they want they, these people to embody, right? The, the, the closer, the extrovert, blah, 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 blah. So how, how do you get people off that paradigm? Go yeah, they, 
Yeah, Dave, I'll, I'll I'll take a shot at this first. So, Andy, that's a you know that is a, that's a fantastic observation, and and I think you're right. And you know, in my earliest sales training, you know, control selling was a phrase that was almost used naturally. Well, if we dig into that, and 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 by the way, in, in our work at PMI, we always interview client customers. And I don't know that we've interviewed a thousand, you know, over the past 17 years or so, but uh, but hundreds at least. And quite candidly, Andy, I've never talked with a customer that wanted to be controlled, not one. I've never heard one customer say, I really want my seller, my supplier, my provider <clears throat> to come in here and, and and control me, check me against the glass, <laughs> knock me around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We love the hockey analogies early in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> so I've never heard that. But what I have heard customers say is there's a difference between how one organization engages me versus another. And, and, and quite candidly, nine of those are, are in the book. And, and I would just say that control selling, it probably has a place in the world today. But we're at the other end, uh, if not 180 degrees, at least 179 uh, from that. Because quite candidly, in high-end business-to-business commerce, going in with an intent to control that customer is probably going to get you tossed. And I recognize that It always people, has. Always has. It, it, it always has. And I recognize there are people listening that have probably read books with subtitles that talk about controlling the customer. Sorry, but... We're just not buying into it. There may be a place for it somewhere, but what I believe is people that follow the methodology of beyond the sales process are going to be very successful competing against those that are really focused on controlling and manipulating the customer. Dave? Yeah, so, so the whole idea of, of uh, co-creating value with your customer, mm. collaboration, mm-hmm. build, building uh, you know, real trust. I mean, re- Charlie Green kind of thing, you know, but becoming right. a trusted advisor, but right. based on mutual value exploration, mutual visioning of success for not only the customer, but for you, the supplier, uh, is, is, you know, 180 degrees apart from the idea of some very, strong, experienced, knowledgeable domain expert who can go in and say to the customer, you know, I've worked with 20 companies like yours and they all had, you know, between 21 and 27% improvement in their ROI, whatever else it is. And this is the way you need to do things. I mean, as far as Steve and I are concerned and all the companies we've worked with, uh, at the levels that we have been selling and the people that we work with that I coach and that Steve's folks coach, uh, that's, that's just not going to get you anywhere. So, uh, so this, uh, uh, this, this, this idea of the customer being the most important person in the room, not, not us, the seller, but the customer being the most important person in the room and really uh, earning your, the right to ask the customer the tough questions, the things that they're not perhaps readily going to share with somebody they don't trust and begin to explore what alternatives are to them achieving those goals and objectives. 
perspectives and how you might work together with them. And maybe it's not a fit. Maybe you wouldn't work with them because you just can't provide them with what they need to get what uh, uh, to get what they need. But but right. again, it goes back to the idea of this uh, uh, value co-creation, collaboration, working, sitting next to the customer at the table as opposed to sitting around the other side of the table as somebody who is your uh, opponent or uh, in some kind of a contentious situation. So, you know, as a direct answer to your question, that's the big difference between what Steve and I put together versus what a lot of folks think is the perhaps holy grail these days. And that is, if you could only control the customer <laughs> and the sales cycle, you'll make millions. Well, and, right. So I mean, <laughs> obviously the fallacy of that, I mean, it goes back to, let's say, pre-internet days. You know, I, I talk about in my books is that the only way you could exercise control is by metering the flow of information, right? Because when you were the sole source of information, in pre-internet days, largely. Right. right. Yeah, to some degree, the customer can only buy as fast as you're prepared to sell to them. And unfortunately, you had people that exercised that. But yeah, the, the tables have turned. So you brought up an interesting, interesting point about you know earning the right to engage. And, and you, you talk about this in, in the second strategy, exploring the possibilities, which I wanted to jump into a bit too, because um, you say that great salespeople have this natural, irrepressible curiosity. And to me, this is this is really one of the the fulcrum points for salespeople, and I think where they fail today is that, and even in the high end, and but especially we see this a lot, I think, in the the more transactional software as a service sales and so on, is that you are very scripted, very I don't want to say necessarily robotic, but a little bit on autopilot. So how do, how do you instill in salespeople, or maybe it's just a matter of hiring the right people, this this curiosity because it's. You know, to me, if you can learn how to ask that one more question, you know, prolong your curiosity to ask that additional question helps so much. So how do you, how do you work with people to, like I said, sort of develop this habit? Well, well, I'll just jump in here and say that you made a, a very brief point there about hiring. I believe strongly that it really starts with hiring. Uh, you have customers, a market you're selling into, and those customers have buying patterns and history and uh, uh, methods and uh, processes. And once you're able to really understand how your market, how the customers buy, you can begin to figure out what kind of a person, man or woman, would be most effective selling to them. What skills and traits those uh, those sellers need in order to be successful. And it's not always a required trait. It depends on the, the job role, but uh, I do a lot of work in hiring, and curiosity is one of the, uh, the top three or top four, or some cases top five uh, traits that someone needs in certain kinds of sales roles to be successful, uh, especially the more complex sale, especially when the customer doesn't know exactly what it is that they need, uh, especially when you're in early, as Steve and I suggest you should be, then that curiosity really plays a very important part. And because it's a trait and it's in your DNA, you, you, you can teach somebody how to fake being curious, but you really can't teach somebody how to be curious because you're either born with that curiosity or not. Steve? Yeah, so so I would add Andy that the, the, the whole idea of curiosity if you if you if you kind of peel the onion back on that uh, what it should really mean is that I want to learn. Now, if it means I want to learn, then it means I need to be willing to listen. Here's the problem as I see it. Most salespeople walk into the room today waiting to talk. What do I mean by that? 
if I'm calling on Andy Paul and I want to do business with you, and I think I'm listening to Andy, but really I'm waiting to talk, then what am I thinking about? My curiosity, I believe, is obliterated by the fact that I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. Thinking about what I'm going to say next and waiting to talk is very different than being curious and asking the customer questions about their organization, their culture, their industry, their value proposition for their customers, for their customers, uh, who they compete with. It's a very different headset. So what I think is hurting a lot of salespeople today is, and use the word robotic, I mean, I couldn't agree more. If you train me in product, what in the world do you think I'm going to talk about? I'm waiting to talk about what? Me, myself, I, my company, and my product. And I think that's where the problem begins, assuming we have the right person. And Dave's comment about right people is really critical because there's not enough. There's simply not enough. And even some of the best sellers that we see and best account managers we still see them walking into the room waiting to talk. So I think the first step is to be prepared to listen. Listen to what? Listen to the customer's response to great questions that you want to ask them, that you want to ask them about their business, about their world, about what matters most to them. That's when you earn the right to explore possibilities. That's when you give the customer a reason to engage. And it's also, to my mind, it's a willingness to ask a question that's not on, on your script. Right, mm-hmm. is, is have the ability to respond to what the customer says as opposed to saying, <laughs> okay, thank you. And so the next question is... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I just I just last night was recording uh, an episode of this podcast with a gentleman where we're actually listening to recorded calls, outbound calls that reps had made and were pausing and providing coaching for it. And you saw that time after time after time as the customer would respond to the question and there was never the follow-up question. And, you know, I teach things just as simple as saying, well, geez, that's interesting. You know, tell me more about that. I mean, it's, it's one of the great second questions that every rep could ask if they were, as you said, really focused on what the customer was saying instead of waiting to talk, which I think is a great, a great phrase that uh, I love the way you say that. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, yeah, what would it mean to your business uh, if, if you were able to do what you just said? What impact would that have on your business? Exactly. And, next, and next thing you know, you're going down a path holding the customer's hand rather than pushing them first or dragging them f- behind you. And that's the whole idea, that collaboration. Uh, and, and it does come from uh, being able to have the confidence and the knowledge to be able to ask questions and not have that script either written out in front of you or in your head of, okay, so I have eight questions I have to get the answers to, and I don't give a darn what happens. I'm not leaving that guy's office mm-hmm. until I have answers to those those eight questions. The hell well, with whatever else they want to say to well, me. You know? Exactly, because in some cases, those eight questions, answers those eight questions constitute the exit criteria that their sales process has for moving to the next stage of the deal. That's right? So exactly they can't go right. back to their manager and say, well, we're, eight, we're at the next stage. He says, well, did you get the answers to these eight questions? Because those are our exit criteria. <laughs> You know, they're sort of the tyranny of the process in some case. Exactly. So, so then in, in strategy three, another great uh, section that I enjoyed was you talk about uh, how customers today define value, supplier value. So, value is, you know, we ask this question of guests all the time, you know, what is value in sales? And so, why don't you talk a little bit about what you describe in the book? Steve? Yeah, okay. So, 
if you think about the typical company and how the typical company, Andy, equips salespeople, and I'm thinking about when I was new in sales, the organizations I ran, there is a serious effort to help Steve Anderson, Dave Stein, Andy Paul, the new salesperson, become comfortable with the company they've gone to work for and with the products they have to sell. And so the headset that many of us have when we walk into the room uh, with the customer is really one of it being all about me, whether I'm feeling that way egotistically or just it's subliminal. But I walk into the room and I'm thinking about me and us and the company and what I have to offer. Now, if you then translate what the customer's looking for, in many cases, the customer may have no interest whatsoever in your product, or they may have no interest in doing business with you today. However, they may have great interest in building rapport with people that can offer insight, or a term that Dave and I like to use, actionable awareness. Mm-hmm. And, there's a, and there's a difference there, Andy. The difference for us, and this is observed in the book and the case studies uh, would, would substantiate this, it, it, Insight abounds. I mean, we can think about data. We're awash in data, big data, little data, probably too much data. That data doesn't mean much until it becomes information. We're awash in TMI, too much information. Take that down a level. Now I've got insights. Yeah. But how many insights at this very moment are going unacted upon by sellers because they just don't have uh, the bandwidth, the juice, whatever? to take action. So if we can distill this down to actionable awareness, and we believe that comes from actually visioning success with the customer Mm -hmm. and having the customer say, yeah, if you can potentially help me in this area, I just might take action. At that moment, the salesperson becomes aware. And by the way, uh, in most situations, there's no RFP on the street yet. So what we think is really critical uh, early in customer engagement is to be in a position after you explore possibilities to vision success with the customer, to, to listen to what the customer cares most about, to help them identify what I would call future value targets where potential value can be created. And at the end of the day, talk about what matters most to the customer. And you ask about the meaning of value. To, to me, the meaning of value is what matters most to the customer and what will cause them to be successful. Dave? Yes. So one of the paths to figuring out what matters most to the customer, most to the customer, is learning about their customer, the relationships they have with their customer. What value does does our potential customer provide their potential customer? Or their customers, and and that, that that's a, that's a it's not a trick, it's not a shortcut, it's not a silver bullet. But when you when you've now immersed yourself in your customers' business to the point where you really understand the value they provide to their customer, uh, the the the, uh, the ability to understand what value you can provide to them becomes so much more clear. Because really, what companies are in business for is to serve their customers. So if I can help my customer serve his customer or her customer better, then I'm going to be of more potential value to my customer. And that's one of the paths, but that that's the one that I like to talk about first because a lot of salespeople just don't think about that at all. You know, you say to a salesperson, I do a lot of sales coaching, uh, name three of this particular company's biggest customers. And they go, huh? 
Mm-hmm. Never, never asked, never thought about it before. So if they don't even know the names of the companies, it's going to be very hard for them to understand what value their customer provides to That's those right. customers. And so that value chain uh, it, it never, never gets, never gets started. The pieces never get welded. The path is never paved, and it becomes very hard to figure out uh, how you are going to capture customer preference and mind share because well, you, you right. really don't know where you're headed. Right. I mean, you can't you can't do the visioning with the customers you talked about if you can't answer that question. Right. <laughs> right. What value they provide to their customers. Right. And right. so, yeah, it, and this is really sort of interesting when you talk about this because you know this actionable awareness is really to me is the synthesis of their data, their information, the insights into this vision that you're that you're co-creating with them, and that that to me is is like. In a, something sort of an elite strat of, of, of sales reps, I've seen are able to do that. I mean, that's a very it's, difficult. This is a very difficult skill. It is, and and once you're in there uh, having those visioning discussions and talking about future potential value at a deeper level, uh, whether you're driving toward the customer's customer or just internal challenges that they may have to overcome for their business to run more effectively, whatever it happens to be. But once you're having those discussions, it becomes very difficult for uh, your your opposition for some other company's salesperson to get those kinds of conversations going with the customer because they tend to only have that with the the first person they can identify with and trust and have yes. the person has credibility so once you're in that elevator that only holds two people you and the customer the door may open but there there, there ain't nobody else going in that elevator so <laughs> exactly. that's a, and, and that, doing, that's a real advantage absolutely and i think as either idc or forrester had a study that that basically validated that saying that if you are the first vendor that can create this this uh, buying vision for the prospect. Yeah, your odds. They said they're based on their survey that I think a thousand business decision makers is like your odds of winning the deal stand sixty five percent. Right. Well, if you take that compared to you know, most companies, you know, happy if they get a twenty percent close rate. Or, uh, well, that's pretty significant. Yeah, it it really is, and and it takes uh, it, it takes a different way of looking at at uh, at your customer, and of course, it's you know the the uh, before, during, and after uh, structure that Steve and I talk so much about. But it takes research, it takes some courage, it takes uh, uh, a, a, you know constant building of knowledge, not only about uh, the industry you're selling into, but about the individual customers that you're pursuing, and and it's a different kind of of uh, headset as Steve likes to use that term, then your typical salesperson who's you know got a, a portfolio of 250 companies they're pursuing in their territory, and, right. and every one of them gets one 250th of whatever time they have available without any sizing or prioritization or, or anything like that. And, and we now know that that is just not the way to be a leader in your industry as far as selling is concerned. Uh, it's just not the way to do it. Okay, excellent. Now, gentlemen, we're going to move into the last segment of the show. Where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, the first one, you can decide who between you will answer this one, is in this hypothetical scenario, you can answer it collectively. In this hy- hypothetical scenario, you guys have just been hired as VP of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out. And the board and the CEO anxious to get things uh, turned around back on track. So what, what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact in terms of starting off a turnaround? Go, Steve. <clears throat> well, so, so I'll give you one, and then, Dave, maybe you come with, uh, with another. Okay. 
So, Andy, the first thing I would do is the first thing that we do anytime we get engaged by a client, and that is ask questions and attempt, and I'm going to use terms discovery and assessment, right? Discovery and assessment. And by the way, I've been that VP of sales hired uh, four Mm -hmm. times in my Mm -hmm. career. And you always think you know, and then you get in and you find out very quickly, well, I didn't turn this rock over and I didn't wade out deep enough into the river to turn that rock over. And these things start crawling out. In my mind, the first thing is talk to thoughtful people, not just in the sales organization, okay? Uh, Services, uh, uh, technology, uh, product development, what's working, what's not, and talk to customers. Then, when you begin to take action, uh, you've got data that you turned into, information, insight, You've got actionable, actionable awareness. awareness. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Bringing right. it back to the book. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to take a look at the uh, the Salesforce. Uh, the uh, sales are crashing. They're not where they need to be. Uh, statistics say anywhere between uh, 20 to 33, maybe even higher percent of salespeople who are in B2B positions today aren't suited for the job, which means no matter how much training and coaching and how many tools and whatever else you want to do, they're never going to be independently driving the number consistently. So before I do anything else, I'm going to do an assessment and I'm not going to fire a third of the sales force that day, but I'm very going to quick, very quickly going to know who isn't making their number because they just can't versus who isn't making their number for external reasons where they may be able to be helped. And I'm going to have a plan to uh, redeploy those folks who will never make it uh, somewhere else in the organization or outside the organization and have a plan to make sure that 80%, 75, 85% of the people on my team six months from now, a year from now, are going to be able to deliver. So that a little bit different from Steve's, but that's what I'm going to look okay. at first. Perfect. All right. So now I've got some uh, great answers. I've got some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want. So when you, Dave, and you, Steve, are out selling your services individually, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, uh, m- mine is uh, uh, wisdom and experience. Right. That's good. Steve, how <laughs> yeah. about you? I would say credibility and and being able to bring insights and actionable awareness to clients based on having done it before. Got it. All right. Next question. Who's your sales role model? Steve Anderson. <laughs> Dave Stein. Oh, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. He really is. Uh, this this book was 30 years in the in the waiting here. So yeah, definitely, Steve. Right. Well, I got to reciprocate, my friend. And I don't do this. Uh, uh, I don't do this um, with tongue in cheek. I mean, uh, when I think about people, I've learned things from Andy. You know, Dave has had an amazing career with so much. Uh, that he has offered. A lot of people, as we say down south here, they keep it hidden under a bushel basket. And that is not the case with my friend, Mr. Stein. Dave has published so much. His network is amazing. And and people buy Dave Stein because not just of what he knows, but the person that he is. So who have I learned the most from throughout my career? Uh, it would be the uh, the third leg of the stool on this uh, call we're at. <laughs> oh, I thought I was the third leg. Okay. So um, what's one book other than your own that every salesperson should read? Dave, you first. 
Oh, boy. Oh, um, well, the one that I got the most out of and helped me most uh, in my career and put more money in my pocket than any other book uh, was Power Base Selling by Jim Holden. And it was written in the uh, 1990s, and it just opened my eyes to uh, all, everything that was going on kind of literally under the radar screen within organizations, how influence was uh, wielded and yielded and, uh, and all of that. So I, I, I think any Anybody selling in any kind of a complex environment, power-based selling would be something I would always recommend. Excellent. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. I'm gonna. That's on my list now. Steve, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I would. Uh, I would have to say, good to great. And mm-hmm. yes, I realize it's not a sales book, but then maybe it is. Well, it doesn't need to be a sales book. Yeah. Yeah, because being good is not good enough today, and it's really hard to be great. But when you're somewhere in between good plus and great minus. You become different from everybody else, and you have customers saying to you, no one else is engaging me this way. No one else is talking to me this way. And that's what that book was really about, how companies and individuals do that. That would be my answer. Excellent. All right. So here's here's this question I didn't have just for you guys. I asked it to every every guest. Last question. What music's on your playlist these days? <laughs> I love um, that question. Go, Dave, and then I'll come. That, that's great. So, so having been a, a, a trumpet player, most interested in jazz, uh, Freddie Hubbard, Maynard Ferguson, Wynton Marsalis, mm. Roy Hargrove, uh, uh, Arturo Sandoval. Uh, I am a guy who loves uh, just brash, screaming, passionate trumpet playing. So Got that's it. my playlist. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Steve. Yeah, so 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 I'm a jazz fan, but uh, different types of jazz. And, and in addition to uh, to the types of things that we would hear today, I really like the Blue Note sessions mm-hmm. that were recorded uh, in Rudy Van Gelder's studio. And uh, that's not the only thing on my playlist, but I have to say that. And some really nice music that we would call in this part of the world Carolina Beach music, which is uh, full of feeling. <laughs> And people dance to it. And so, man, I've got some rock and some beach music and some blue note jazz going just about all the time. So, man. so who, name a group, Carolina Beach Music. God, the Tams, the Showman, Willie T, uh, <laughs> the Impressions. You, right. want, you want my playlist? All I'll right, share. yeah, you have to send it to me. I haven't, I haven't heard that. I mean, I've, I've, I'll have to listen to that. Uh, it's great. You right. like Carolina Beach Music. It's on my list. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Well, thank you guys for joining me today. My guests have been Dave Stein, Steve Anderson, talking about their book, Beyond the Sales Process. So tell folks how they can get in contact with you. Well, there's a website, beyondthesalesprocess.com. And uh, any of you listening, uh, send Steve or me a note on LinkedIn. Uh, invite us to connect. I'm sure if you tell us a little about you and what you feel we could provide, we'd be delighted to uh, to connect with anybody who uh, invited us to. Uh, Steve is uh, performancemethods.com. That's his company. And uh, I work by myself, different from Steve. He's got a real team and a real company, but I work by myself. And I'm at uh, Dave stein.biz b-i-z okay steve anything else to add yeah just uh, just would encourage folks to uh, let us hear from you whether you're in the market for what we do or not uh we're always interested in getting feedback on the book and again beyond the sales and for me performancemethods.com. and andy we appreciate you hosting us and uh, i must say uh had a laugh or two and a good yeah, time did. doing this with you so <laughs> oh, good. Well, and, it was fun 
Appreciate you guys joining me. And remember, friends, thank you for listening to the show. And remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to take a minute and subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. And that way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guests today, Dave Stein and Steve Anderson, who shared their expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. 